Hey everybody and welcome to podcast 37, the last one of 2011, a whole year of podcast. Upon reflection, I probably should have talked about that a little bit more, but maybe I can do that next time, because now I've finished the podcast and I'm doing the intro, and it's a little too late. This time I do a little bit more reflection on Star Wars The Old Republic, now that I played a little bit, and I got into the Diablo 3 beta, so I had like 45 minutes to play that, so just a little tiny peek on that. And I talk about my thoughts on collector editions. I think that's everything. On with the show! For those of you who regularly listen to the podcast, you might remember on podcast 33, I talked all about Star Wars The Old Republic, and my final decision was that because of my sad homeless life right now, I was not going to pick it up. However, lately my life is not as simple as do I have enough money or do I not have enough money. It's much more complicated than that. And I decided that I will pick it up. However, I canceled the collector's edition version. And I'm going to just pick up the regular cheap version. So that's like 100 bucks less. So that's a, a pretty big difference. But as those of you who read Epic Fail know, lately I've been feeling more and more and more depressed and lonely and sad. And I think that being in an online game may help this. So, you know, that was the biggest reason in my deciding to go ahead and pick the game up. I am, however, going to take sort of a step backwards in my approach to games because as MMOGs have progressed in years, they've changed in sort of how they present themselves to the player. Back in 99 when I picked up EverQuest, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, games were games and there wasn't really a social component unless you were playing, you know, next to somebody on the couch with a console game. PC games up until that point were almost exclusively single player and there really wasn't social interaction to worry or think about and there were only a few MMOG type games out there. EverQuest was really the first true MMOG. The rest of the games were, you know, much lower player bases and so interacting with players was done very differently. So I think when I get into Star Wars The Old Republic I will sort of treat it like I did when I first picked up EverQuest back in the day. I will be rejoining my guild, so there may be some people I will interact with there. However, I will pretty much treat it like a single player game. I know I said I wanted to pick it up to, you know, feel connected to people and have some social interaction, but a lot of the game really doesn't feel that good with random people. I mean, I probably will, you know, the higher I go up, group with other people and have more interaction. But I expect with the lower level content, I would probably just stick with my guildmates for direct interaction. I think though, whether I group with people or not, I will probably feel a lot less lonely because there is that story and there is that involvement of, you know, being sort of with the character as they progress in their life and they live their lives. And so, you know, at the very least, it would be a nice distraction from my sad life. 
And occasionally, I will group with my guildmates and random other people, and um, hopefully have a good time with it. They have decided to go Empire, which I was not really going to do as my main. And also, since that will be my main, I'll have to pick a class that, that works with that, I think. The only one that, that looks like it would be really cool for me and make me happy would be Marauder. Because I was originally going to go Jedi Sentinel, which is on the, the good guy's side. But since the, the guild is going to be you know on the bad guy's side, I have to pick from the bad guy classes. I did like Bounty Hunter, but I don't know if I would want to do that as my main. Because it did seem kind of, I wouldn't say boring, but it seemed less interesting to me than, than playing a, a Jedi-type character. So I'm going to try out Marauder and see how that works. This recording session I'm doing right now is the day before I will be picking up the game and uh, the official launch. So I haven't actually tried it out yet. Um, I did try, you know, Jedi and Bounty Hunter in the test, but I haven't tried out Marauder. So we'll see. We'll see what being evil is like and uh, the evil side of Jedi-ness. And um, hopefully I'll have a good time with it. So I guess that's all I can say about that until I get to play it some more. I do have a recording session or two, maybe, before I will release the podcast, uh, probably sometime between Christmas and New Year's, but that's going to be relevant to you because you are listening to it in the future whenever it is already out. So maybe I will have some more to say about that later on. buy collector editions quite a bit. I have probably half a dozen collector edition games and I don't know how many special or collector edition movies I have. I have quite a few. Usually I um get that instead of the basic version. Although, you know, I tend to buy only movies I really 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 like, so it kind of makes more sense for movies. Lately though, collector editions for video games have been a bit more difficult to decide if you actually really want it and if it's worth it or not. A few days ago, a friend of mine asked on Facebook what version of Star Wars The Old Republic he should get. And so, you know, several of us were talking about this version and that version and the Collector Edition version and different other versions. And also recently, I was very tempted to buy the Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning Collector Edition, which is only sold through their site, and there are only... 2,000 copies of each edition made. I think that's probably for each system. You know, they're selling it for uh, PS3 and Xbox 360 and PC. So I would assume there's 2,000 copies of each collector edition for each system type. So that is a, a true collector edition because it's limited in quantity and, you know, it's limited in only this edition gets this stuff. But in talking to my friend, it was like, is that statue really worth it to you? Is that soundtrack worth it to you? Especially since there is a website that has been putting out these soundtracks one track at a time. So you can just go to the website and, you know, save as, save as, save as, save as, and you effectively have the soundtrack for free. 
And two, it's very difficult for me to buy a special edition of a game if I haven't played that series yet. I expect Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning to be really awesome because of all the gameplay footage I've seen and because there are other games I've played of that type that I know that I like. But it is kind of a gamble, and that's why I didn't get the collector edition version for that. I might regret it. It's also it's also a matter of money because the, the collector edition version that was really worth it was like, I think, 200 bucks, which is, wow, that's like huge. Even for a collector edition video game, that's that's huge. Something, though, like, you know, the base price is 60 bucks, and then the collector edition version is, you know, 75 or 80. That's not quite as big of a hit. So it's a little bit easier to decide between those two. A lot of the trends in collector edition versions, though, these days are becoming more and more just digital items that don't really do anything. Like you'll get a special, you know, a special vehicle or a special weapon, and it doesn't really make a huge deal because it's just pretty much cosmetic changes and the, the other weapons are just fine. And so those, those I kind of have issue with. While buying a game and buying a, a collector edition especially, or any other higher priced edition, is most certainly a vote to the developers saying, I like this game, please make more of them. You know, you, you buy a higher cost edition, you're saying, I really like this game. You know, sales numbers is pretty much one of the only ways they know that players like something. But when they do something like that, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. It's both a vote to say, I really like this game or this series, but it's also kind of a money grab for them because digital items, well, you know, they might include more artwork or, you know, special tweaks in the terms of effects they do. So there is, you know, extra programming. It is kind of more of a money grab than getting a physical item. One of the coolest collector things I ever got was this small stormtrooper pewter figure about, I would I would guess it's about two inches tall. It's in storage, so I can't check now. And it came as part of a pre-order bonus. I think it was the first pre-order bonus I'd ever gotten. And this is this is quite a while ago because it came with Dark Forces 2, which, um, you know, the game and the figure is probably older than some of you listeners. Urgh. So something like that, which is a physical item, I think is actually a lot cooler than an in-game item. Well, an in-game item might be more useful. For me, if I'm going to, you know, collect something and put it on display and say, hey, I got this cool game and I got this cool thing with it, you know, I would want it to be something useful. Like, I like the soundtracks. Those are cool. Although I don't listen to music a whole lot myself. I do sometimes occasionally like the music of games. And uh, you can hear that on the podcasts. And I don't usually use them, but the mouse pads are kind of cool. Because, you know, they give you something different to use than what you're normally using. Unless you're like me and you have a, a super fancy mouse pad and then you're like, I'm not going to replace it with something of lesser quality. But I think special cards or special tokens or I, I don't know about the cloth maps these days. I mean, so often you don't really need a map anymore. Back in the day, they were a little bit more important when you didn't have that in-game map. But now that you have an in-game map, pretty much, you know, maps are pretty much pointless especially for games that are fairly linear, you don't even need a map. So I'm I'm big on the physical things, and especially if it has like a cool special box that it comes in that you can display somewhere and, you know, put on a shelf or, you know, even just next to other games, it, it'll stand out a little bit. Not so big and unwieldy that it doesn't fit on a shelf, 
a lot of collector editions do that. And that's, I think, kind of problematic. I mean, if I had a special collector case to put it in, you know, like a display case, that would be one thing. That would be awesome. But I don't think most people have that. I think most people will buy it and something like that will seem really cool. But then they'll just wind up being at the top of the closet in the back, you know, behind all this other stuff that nobody ever sees because it's too big to fit on a shelf anywhere else. So, again, probably just me rambling about my thoughts on collector editions. But um, maybe it helped you decide in the future uh, if you want a collector edition or not. I think most people don't consider it worth it regardless of what comes in it. But I do I do personally like those little knick-knacky things. And sometimes I'll put them on a little shelf, you know, and check them out and be like, ooh, I like this, I like this. And again, you know, it is a vote to the company to say, you know, I like this game a lot, I like this series a lot, make more. But I don't know if these days that's quite as important as it once was 5, 10, 15 plus years ago. Now, you know, there's the social media sites and people often put up forums and stuff. So they get a lot of feedback on that kind of stuff with or without the collector edition. So I don't know if the collector edition is quite as important for that anymore. But hopefully this rambling was somewhat interesting at least and uh, gives you something to think about in the future for your own purchasing thoughts. So I'm about a full play day into Star Wars The Old Republic now, and I'm very happy that I bought it because I'm liking it a lot more than I thought I would. None of my opinions in Podcast 33 have really changed. I do still think it would have been a much better single-player slash co-op game than an MMOG. I still think that most of the MMOG trappings do hold it back. I did like the Flashpoint, which was what they pretty much refer to as an instance. Due to the voice acting, though, it can get really repetitive really quickly. I've only done it three times, I think, because it's the only one in my level range, so that's the only one I could do. And it already seems kind of meh, because the voice acting is pretty much the same each time through. So it's sort of like listening to a recording over and over. You know, the first time it's really awesome and and reasonably epic. It was a level 10 one, so it was pretty low level. But that second time through where they're saying 90% of the same things they said before, it seems a lot less epic. My guild did pick the bad guy side, which is Sith slash Empire, which is not a choice I was really thrilled with. I really wanted to be Republic with an alt character on the bad guy side. I am forced to play a Sith Marauder, which is basically the Sith slash Empire's version of the Jedi Sentinel, which is what I was going to do. But much like Mass Effect 2, I'm finding that even starting out going, okay, I'll, I'll accept this and be really evil because that's what the character is. Even accepting that, I found myself really saddened by a lot of choices and I really couldn't be as evil as I should be. My character is what they're calling a pureblood Sith, which is pretty much a, a red person that looks kind of like a demon. And they're apparently a hybrid of the original Sith race, which was an alien race, 
and the other races. So they're not, you know, a full Sith creature, but they're a hybrid. And apparently the Force is very strong in all of them. So I'm supposed to be really good in the Force, and I'm supposed to be really evil and really hateful. But I just, I can't play like that. So my character is actually mostly neutral. I think I'm split right now. I'm, I just got level 16. And in terms of light side slash dark side points, I think I'm around 1300 light and like 900 dark. So I'm mostly in the middle, but I'm leaning more and more towards being light side. I am kind of looking at the progression of the character and thinking about where they're going and where they've been. And I think it might be kind of interesting to push more towards light side. You know, not force it, but do the, do the options that seem like they make the most sense. Like I mentioned in podcast 33, there was a quest for a bounty hunter who found someone who was hunting natives and basically slaughtering them for sport. And I shot him in the face and killed him because that was not okay. Now, in the Sith, they believe that killing off the weak creatures is what you're supposed to do. So I may not make that choice for that. But there are some other choices where you're supposed to retrieve something from somebody And you don't necessarily have to kill them because it's not part of the mission parameters. And so in those cases, I am choosing the the good choice. And um, I'll be interested to see how much of that I can continue and if it actually changes the course of my character. I am thinking it's just going to be sort of like a currency that builds up and that it doesn't really matter long term. You know, it will for loots and companions and such. But I think long-term the story arc of the character I I think it's gonna be the same no matter what I pick so it will be interesting to see if it does or does not make an impact long-term other than how I feel about the choices that I'm making you know as a player I did not get to get into crafting or see companions during the the beta weekend that I had because I didn't get high enough level I'm not usually into crafting in most games but this one is kind of interesting You don't really do the crafting yourself, which I'm still kind of like, what? And I don't know if I really thrilled with that idea. What it is, is you're basically telling your companions to do all the work for you, and you're just kind of controlling what they're doing. You want to take one crafting and then two gathering. I think the game actually forces you to do that. And the gathering skills are basically like many of the social networking site games out there where you say, go do this job, and then the companion disappears for a period of time. Most of the starting quests were like three minutes, but a few of them were six minutes. I've seen one as long as eight minutes. And while the companion is off doing that, then you can't use them for fighting. But if they're not told to go do anything, they will be alongside you and you can use them for fighting. And So then when they've gathered enough materials, you can tell them to craft an item. And then that pretty much works the same way, just on a shorter time span. Most items take about one minute to make instead of three or six minutes. And I'm sure these times will probably change as I get, you know, higher and higher level with this stuff. So when you start out, you have all of these green con recipes. And, you know, that's the lowest rank of item. So what you can do is you can tell the companions to make them. As your skill increases, you can get new green con recipes from the vendor and then just have your companions keep crafting green stuff all the time. But if you take that green stuff they've created and you take it apart, you have a chance to learn a higher rank item. 
and each rank builds on the next. So if you learn a green con item, you can take it apart and then have a chance at a blue con item. And when you take the blue con item apart, you have a chance for learning a purple con item. And I think, though I haven't seen one yet, the next rank above purple rank would be orange. So it's like you don't want to sit there and craft the stuff that's, you know, old to you that will give you no skill because there's zero chance really for you to learn anything new from it. I have been told there are multiple recipes from one item, so it could be there are a couple of blue items, say, from a green item. But there's no point at all in continuing crafting the green items once you have the higher level blue item because it will just teach you something you already know and I don't think you gain any skill from it. So there's really no point in doing it. So crafting is a little bit different. I'm much more interested in it than I am in other standard MMOG styles. But I don't really know how thrilled I'm going to be with it later on. And like I said, you know, it is still kind of weird that you're telling other people to do it for you. So that's kind of a, a weird thing. But I'm really liking the lightsaber stuff and so I'm, I'm pretty into it at the moment. I did mention that companions can stay with you and fight very briefly there a few minutes ago. And that's one of the cooler things about Star Wars The Old Republic compared to standard mogs is that everybody has, you know, several companions to pick from. I don't even have my second companion yet, though I think I'm about to get them. I think I'm about done with this area, and so I think I pick up a second one then, and supposedly my spaceship. But once you have multiple companions, they can either stick around, or you can tell them to do crafting stuff. You can only have one out at a time, but, you know, that way you could have, you know, one or two crafting for you, and have one out. And this makes it kind of interesting because you can choose to solo an area and have the companions off doing crafting stuff, or you can have one out fighting with you. Groups are four characters, and each person that's in the group can have a companion out to fill up an empty slot. So of those total four spots, let's say there are only three players, one player can pull out their companion, and then you have a full group of four characters. So those of you out there who are couples who play, and you're like, I don't really like to group with strangers, I don't really like to group a whole lot, and I only play with my partner, and we only play a few hours a day, Star Wars The Old Republic is probably a game you want to seriously consider, because if you do have group content that you need to do, there's two of you, you each pull out your companion, and then you've got all four slots in the group filled, and you have no worries. Now, you know, they're not perfect, they're not human, so they are going to have AI issues, but they do do really, really well in place of not finding another person. Or if you are one of those couples who just like to play together, you don't have any worries because there's, in theory, not any content you'll be missing outside of those raids and, you know, maybe like PvP encounters or something. Also, just like the Dragon Age series, they have a gift system and... I guess you could call it an affection system. I don't remember the official term for it off the top of my head. But each companion likes and dislikes different kind of gift items. So you, you can give them a gift item and they will like you more. Um, depending on if they like it a little bit or a lot, you'll gain you know fewer or more points. I don't think I've ever gained no points, so that's a plus. But I, I suppose in theory it could happen. 
There also is a website out there if you're really, really paranoid about it. I don't know it offhand. I will dig up the URL and put it in the show notes for this podcast on my site so you can check it out through there. But this person has, you know, put up a web page and it's got a picture for each of the companions for each of the classes and what they like and how much they like it. I think it has their backstory too, which you can read in-game, but, you know, it's kind of cool to read it offline as well. But it has, you know, all of their their likes and dislikes in terms of gifts. So if you're really paranoid about it or you're really obsessive about it, you can go and look at that. And it also tells them their personality, I think, in terms of what they like and don't like in terms of conversation choices. So I think, you know, if you're going to have a companion with you that you really want to crank up the faction with them, you know, you can read about them and be sure that you make the choices they like and the gifts, give them the gifts that they like. Overall, I am very happy with the purchase. Like I said, I've played about 24 hours now. So, you know, in terms of playtime to how much I spent since I got the regular version, it's pretty much already covered. I mean, most of the games these days now only last you about 15 hours, maybe 30 or 40 for a tougher one. And it's really, really rare to get, you know, that game that lasts you 50 plus hours. So I'm happy and that's cool. And I think the the more important thing is that because I do have the game, because, you know, I am being social with guildies now again, and there's, you know, occasionally something in general that'll come up and I'll, I'll chat with somebody for a few minutes for that. Because of all that, I am feeling, you know, a lot happier and a lot less lonely. And, you know, I'm distracted from the sad things in my life, which is very important for me now, because especially during the holidays, it, it gets very tough to be alone and you know, if you go online, you're you're not quite as alone as you would be. And even all of that, you know, not counted, there are, you know, the companions and people are talking to me all the time. So, you know, NPC people. So even if I just had the game and I didn't look at chat at all, I still would feel, you know, somewhat better about uh, being alone in life because, you know, then I have virtual people that I'm talking to and I'm not quite as alone. As sad as that sounds, you know, that, that's all some people have. And so, you know, something like this will help you with that. So this will again be one of the very tiny sections that I do. I got the Diablo 3 beta and it took all day yesterday to download it. So I just had a chance to play it very briefly today because I only had a small window before coming to work. And so I had to, you know, split it between doing my looking for stupid cars and playing Star Wars. So I just played it for about 45 minutes so far. And before you poo-poo that, uh, know that there is only the first act in there. And there is only about one hour worth of content. So playing for 45 minutes, you know, even though I did it kind of slow, I've probably seen half or more of the content total. I can talk about this freely because the NDA dropped, I don't know when, it's been down for a while. And there's tons and tons and tons of content and reviews out there already for the beta. So 
If you have any questions about it and you want to look at videos, just you know, type it into YouTube and you'll get lots and lots of videos about it. I know probably about a month, maybe two months ago, I was really curious about it and you know, I typed it in and I said, you know, Diablo 3 beta walkthrough and I got a whole series someone has done about each class and you know, they run through the whole content once and then they run through each class pretty in depth. I think eat the class ones are like 20 minutes long, but Anyways, there's plenty of videos out there and content for you to look up if you are curious. The one thing that really surprised me that I hadn't seen done in any of the videos or any of the, the reviews about it was that there are tons and tons of destructible things in the world. I mean, they say, you know, here's some traps, and so I knew about those. But what I didn't know about was just, you know, the general building structure. There's a lot of stuff that crumbles. There's a lot of sort of atmospheric stuff that's going on. But the one thing that really surprised me and made me go, whoa, I have to talk about this, was that the first really big boss I encountered, I'm playing Demon Hunter, which is somebody that's trying to be at range, and since I'm, you know, very low level, it's like I have to run around a lot. So this first big boss was a melee boss, and I'm like, aha, you're a melee boss, I'm a ranged person, I'm going to run over here behind this table, you'll chase me over here, you'll be behind the table going all slow. And I'll just be all pew, 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 pew at range and be like, neener, neener, neener. So he comes over his all, I'm going to get you. And he gets behind the table and I get pretty far away and I'm all pew, 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 ha, 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 you're behind the table. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he smashes the table to pieces. I'm like, oh my God, you just smashed the table to pieces. I was shooting over it. You smashed it. Now I don't have the cover anymore. So I thought that was really surprising and really cool. And it's like, whoa, you surprised me. Yay for surprises. Overall, my impression is that it's an amazing Diablo game. It is exactly what you expect from a sequel to Diablo 2. And um, I look forward to playing it more. And I recommend anyone who liked Diablo 1 or Diablo 2 to pick it up. As a side note, I actually really like how they do the skills in it as well. You're forced to pick between, you know, the one on each mouse button. And then I think you can bind pretty much any of them to the hotkeys, which you only get five hotkeys. And in Star Wars The Old Republic and other MMOGs, I typically get really, really overwhelmed by the number of skills. And it really gets kind of annoying to have, you know, to be forced to have multiple bars up and remember, you know, 11 billion different skills. I much prefer games like this where you're given a lot of skills. You know, well, it's a lot for Diablo. But... You know, then you have to pick, okay, which ones do I really like that fit my style? Which ones do I want to have on my bar right now? You can go back to town, I think, pretty much any time. And there's this, like, totem thing that you click, and then you can swap out your skill anytime. So it, while it, you're locked in for a while, you know, if you, if you get really stressed out, you can just go back to town and then swap it out, no big deal. So I really like that style, too. I guess that is it for this Rabbit's Rambling podcast. Pretty rambly, and I guess I talked a lot about very little. So, (laughs) 
So there you go. Hopefully you had a good time. And hopefully you have a good Christmas and good New Year's. This will come out between Christmas and New Year's. So, you know, happy times for both of those. And um, that's all I can think of. So hopefully I'll see everybody next time. Okay, thanks. Bye. Like I know, kingdoms of like I expect kingdom of my guild did pick the my guild picked the bad guy side, which I guess is the empire or the what is it empire? I don't know. Sith. So I guess that is it for this rapidly. What a piece of junk! You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbitsramblings.html. When you type Rabbit's Ramblings, don't use a space. If you would like to send me an email, you can do so at rabbit at rabbit.com. If you friend me, you can also post on Facebook at rabbit.com. Whenever you type rabbit in any of those, be sure to, to put a one in place of I. Rabbit's Rambling is copyright 2011 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribute Sharealike license.